Hey guys, it's Dan. Uh, boy, this is an exciting one. We've got Tom Paxton on the show here. Uh, a couple of notes. First of all, if you are not familiar with Tom's work, uh, take half an hour uh, and listen to some of the stuff. If you've got an hour to listen to Wheel of Rain, you've got a half hour to listen to Tom Paxton. Uh, check the show notes, and I put a Spotify playlist together. Uh, you're about to be a fan. If you're new to Wheel of Randy, welcome. We normally are more Randy Newman focused than we are on this episode. But come on, it's Tom Paxton. We're going to talk about whatever Tom Paxton wants to talk about. Uh, so the new season's going to be picking up in 2023. Uh, I am looking for guests. If you're listening to this, chances are you'd make a good guest. Shoot me an email wheelofrandy at gmail.com uh, we're still off Twitter until we figure out what's going on over there anyway. anyway so enjoy the show and after the Tom interview we're going to be joined by a friend of the show Mary from Lansdale, Pennsylvania the host of Mary vs. the Movies because Mary is the only person I know who is just as obsessed as I am about Inside Lewin Davis uh, and since Tom is prominently featured in Inside Blue and Davis. We thought this would be a good time to talk about that. All right, that's it. Enjoy the show. Spin the wheel of Randy. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have the one and only Tom Paxton here. Thank you so much for, for joining us on Wheel of Randy, Tom. You're very welcome. You are, you're what the kids call a get. I'm very excited to, to get to speak to you. Um, <laughs> you you're, get, you're one of those... get, I'm a get? You're a get. <laughs> you're one of one of those people who um, I knew your songs long before I knew you. Uh, Marvelous Toy was probably one of the the first songs I ever sang as a kid, and uh, it, it's just I'm, I'm a little starstruck to talk to you. So thank you so much for doing this. Thanks a lot. Did you know that the the lyric to the Marvelous Toy was composed on an army typewriter? Really? <laughs> yeah, I was at. Uh, Fort Dix, New Jersey, in the summer of 1960, uh, uh, in the vaunted Clerk Typhus School, um, which was about as boring as it sounds. And uh, uh, I took time out from doing the stupid exercises to uh, make up the words to the marvelous toy. I, I had a, uh, a friend of a friend who was uh, in a similar situation, probably in the early 70s, with those with those giant printers with the green and white stripes. And he realized that each character on his keyboard put out a different tone. And so he set his printer to print nonsense that would sound like the Marine hymn when it was printed. Oh my God. <laughs> so when, when, <laughs> when you're typing in boards, you, you get creative, I suppose. Oh my Lord. What kind of machine was that? That was those giant printers in the 70s that had the oversized uh, green and white paper. I, I couldn't wow. tell you what they are. That, that, I love that. That's great. <laughs> you know, this is in name a, a Randy Newman podcast, but re really I, I, I talk about songwriting. And, and one, one theme that I've noticed over and over as I've, I've done this show is that there are little things that can turn a good song into a great song. And if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to go through through a, a few of yours and, and just 
just ask about some little details on those. Okay. Um, uh, first of all, I can't help but wonder where I'm bound. Uh, first of all, you two need to write you a check when they put out. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, but that's probably for the lawyers to decide. One one thing I love about this song um, is that is uh, uh, the the singer is isolated, and there are plenty of songs where a singer is, is lonely or talking about how how he's lonely. But uh-huh. I love how how he, I love how he recognizes that everyone feels that way. Yeah, that he sees that face on everyone, and it gives yeah. this wonderful sense of connection in the midst mm. of this lonely song. That's nice. Thank you. I just, I just loved that. I, I wanted to ask when you were writing that, um, in, in the chorus, you repeat where I'm bound, almost like an echo. Uh, was that there originally? Was that something that you added, uh, added on later? Because that, for, for some reason, that, that little echo, that second where I'm bound, just, it just pulls at my heartstrings for some reason. Hmm. I don't know if that was the, in the original or, or whether it just came in performance. I suspect the latter. I can see that. Yeah, it uh, it just it just fills fills that really nicely. That, that song provided me with a real thrill a couple of years ago uh, when I uh, when Johnny Cash recorded it. Oh, I thought, well, that's a certain. There's a bucket list for you. Have Johnny. <laughs> Have Johnny Cash do a song. My God, that felt great. Wow. And, you know, just to sit there and hear, I can't help but wonder what. And that, that'll do it. That, that, that fits. Yeah. I, can I can't that. help but wonder where I'm bound. I, I met him just a few times and briefly uh, each time, but I thought he was the nicest man I ever met. He just was a, a, a gentle soul. I, I knew that he had a, a, a soft spot in his heart for the folk community. I know that, that he and Dylan were close. Um, yeah. And yeah, there's, uh, there, there, there's a, a lot of those themes of, of uh, you know, speaking up for, for the oppressed and speaking up for, for, for the common man in, in Johnny's song. So I definitely see, see some overlap speak, there. Speaking up for Native Americans, too. I mean, he recorded yeah. Ballad of Ida Hayes, Ira Hayes, which was Written by um, Peter Lafarge. Oh, was, I had uh, always I'd always assumed he wrote it. Okay. No, no, Peter Lafarge wrote it. Peter was a, a Pima Pima Indian from I think from Arizona, and uh, he was a very interesting guy. He had a lot of personal problems. Uh, um, uh, alcohol was a, was deadly for him. Um. But uh, but he he was a sweet guy and uh, and Johnny Johnny kind of took him up and 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 uh, did an album called Bitter Tears that had several about three or four of Peter's songs on there and uh, including the Ballad of Ira Hayes. Okay. Uh, he, Johnny used to come in the Gaslight back in the sixties. Really, uh, we never knew when he'd come, but he'd pop in and and. Uh, He'd usually get up and sing a couple songs. Um, it happens. We now know it was uh, pretty near Johnny's uh, bottom uh, of the the pill 
pill problems that he had. Mm. Uh, he was he was using a lot of pills at that time. We didn't know that, but uh, uh, he was he was uh, very thin. And uh, that was about the time. I guess it was about '64 that he played um, the uh, Newport Folk Festival. And oh, okay. Boy, didn't he just draw everybody to everybody backstage? Made sure they got out front to see Johnny Cash. Mm. He was great. Fantastic. Uh, I, I've got to tell you, one of the I, one song that I was real intentional about playing for my daughter when she was seven and eight. Uh, uh-huh. I taught her what I taught her. What did you learn in school today? Uh, which she was kind of shocked. Uh, she thought it was the naughtiest thing she'd ever heard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I, I was trying to teach her. You know, th- these are your teachers, and they're 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 wonderful people, and they're in a noble profession. But yep, you, you've got you've got to you've got to question everything. My yeah, my mother taught community college, and uh, she had a question authority bumper sticker on the front of her desk good for her, <laughs> uh, and, for her. and so you know my, my daughter re- really remembers that and, and hopefully it, it helped uh her grow into the, the well-educated but but uh, appropriately cynical person that she is today um yeah one 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 thing one one theme that I noticed both in what did you learn in school today and in uh, the daily news uh, is this theme. Look, there are plenty of protest singers out there, and most of them, uh, when they're done with the song, you feel a little ashamed. Oh, maybe I, you know, maybe I, I you know. Uh, Maybe I need to change the way I'm living, or, or may, maybe this is on me. But in both of these songs, there's there's this theme of, well, of course people are going to feel that way. They are bombarded yeah. with this messaging their entire life. Cradle to the grave. Yeah, and you know uh, the the Daily News. All all you got to do is is change it to to Fox News, and the the song hasn't aged much at all. <laughs> they haven't. No, it's true. I, for some reason, I'm reminded uh, of thinking of the daily news and those papers is, is somebody who said, never pick a fight with a man who buys ink by the barrel. <laughs> well, that's the <laughs> truth, isn't it? it? It is. I mean, they got that paper coming out every day and everything and people read the paper and and they, you know, they may not even think much about it, but they tend pretty much to believe what they read. Um, the, it, it, it's, it's an effort uh, to find all these grains of salt that we're supposed to take everything with. It's, um, <laughs> uh, it, it, it take, you know, it. Some days I guess you don't feel quite like fighting with the man. You got to just let it let it go. God damn. Yeah, I, 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 I'm at a point right now, I'm not sure the last time I had a productive uh, political conversation. Uh, and, and you can understand this, you know, as an Oklahoman, it, it, sometimes it's hard for me to find like-minded people around here. Damn near um, impossible. They're yeah. the nice, they, by the way, they're the nicest people in the world. 
Uh, oh my goodness! People, I, people I, I moved here, in, and you were in Bristow, right? I was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I did I get, a lot I of get work back in there now and then. Okay. I'm still in yeah. touch with some of my classmates and um, love them dearly. Uh, don't talk politics with them. <laughs> no, no, I can't. I, do I, it. I've, I've learned that. Uh, other than that, we get along fine. It's it's the yeah. strangest thing. You, do you have uh, Oklahoma connections? I, I'm in Oklahoma City, and my clients are in Tulsa, so I do that back and forth pretty regularly. Wow. Yeah. So I'm well, I, I dropped. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I dropped by Bristow a couple weeks ago, and I, I was at City Limits looking for your sign. Where's the, where's the home of Tom Paxton's sign? <laughs> <laughs> It's in the warehouse someplace. Oh, yeah, okay. dust. I mean, yeah, get, um, get the fresh coat of paint on it, right? They're they're nice people. They they brought me down there about what, ten years or so ago when they opened the Performing Arts Center. Which oh, okay. Is, which is really nice, by the Freeland Center is uh, it seats about seven hundred and fifty people, I think, and the, and the acoustics are great. And uh, they had me down for the opening of that. That was nice. Very and good. then I, w- I was back there a couple years ago. Uh, they inducted me into the Oklahoma Music Hall of Fame, which felt very well, nice. It's about time. Very good. And uh, so uh, I still I, I have a, a cousin living in Drumright. I, I see him. And uh, we get along just great. We but we we actually agree politically, which is hard to find. You know, but uh, um, I I think that state needs some good democratic government. But uh, you know, shame on me. I live way the hell up here. Uh, what what do, what do I have to? What right do I have to express opinions about Oklahoma <laughs> politics? Well, um, I. I... You, you you get a pass. You can you can express, yeah. especially with this this slate we've got. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Well, well, I was there back in in uh, in August for the Woody Guthrie Festival, the twenty fifth. Mm-hmm. It was the twenty fifth year, and I was in in the first one uh, in Oklahoma City uh, twenty five years or so ago, and uh, th- that was wonderful to be back there. I used to play. High school football against Okima. Okay. Um, and uh, bear no grudges. Uh, <laughs> but I also got a chance to, I, I was up the night before that, I was in Tulsa at the Woody Guthrie Center. Did a little I love that show place. there. And had the chance to go through Dylan's new museum, which is right next door. Right. Uh, man, that's that's going to be uh, that's going to be a big tourist draw for them. That's uh, the I, Dylan, I think it will. Dylan's museum is uh, spectacular. I thought really good. Yeah, they've they've done a, a really good job with, with both of those. I, I went to the Woody Guthrie Center when they had the Pete Seeger exhibit. Uh huh. Oh, just just to be that close to the banjo just kind of gave me chills. Sure, sure. I and, and let me ask you that. Uh, as someone who knew Pete personally, I, you know, I, I really got into Pete Seeger probably in my thirties. Um, but just, just the whole history with, with, with him and, and with the blacklisting and, and all of that, it, it seems like he never 
maybe maybe behind closed doors it was different, but it seems like he never grew bitter. He did it not. Seems like, it seemed like he was always, let's keep working toward the goal. Was that what he was like in real life? Uh, that's what it was like um, 24-7. Mm. Yeah, uh, he, he walked the walk, he talked. He was, uh, he, he was the saintliest man I've ever known um, who, who had no religion. He, his religion, his religion was people of the world. That shows in, in, in everything that, that, that he's done. Uh, in, in fact, his, his Carnegie Hall performance is probably where I got re-exposed to you, uh, uh-huh. where he uh, did, did three or four songs of yours and, and, yeah. and m- made sure the crowd knew exactly who you were. And what I liked to was, was, was said, there's this young fellow. Ah. I, like <laughs> I, I played that part over and age, over. As they say. There's, there's, <laughs> there's this young fellow named Tom Paxton. <laughs> what, whatever I, happened to him? <laughs> <laughs> One thing I thought was just magic about that, that Carnegie Hall concert was uh, the way he could get that crowd to sing in harmony. Oh, yeah. I don't know how he did it, but it was the most beautiful crowd harmonies throughout that whole concert and you know what that that you just keep that in mind when i tell you that when the hootenanny uh, television show was on and they wouldn't have pete on mm-hmm. uh, the producer his name was fred weintraub fred weintraub who owned uh, coffee shop in the village named the bitter end where i played many times and Pete actually played there a couple times. His explanation for not having Pete Seeger on was that no, there's no blacklist. We just not uh-huh. sure that we're just not sure that Pete could hold a crowd. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fred Hunt knew better than that, but uh, you could tell he was lying because his lips were moving. <laughs> Okay, I have to ask you a question. If this is a sensitive subject, we can skip it. There's plenty of stuff to talk about. Inside Lewin Davis, uh-huh. did did they get anything right in that movie? Oh, they did indeed. As a matter of fact, I liked that movie a lot. Um, I thought it was beautifully shot, but I, I, I felt like the fact checker in me was... Well, there weren't a lot of facts to check. Uh, uh, they they had this fellow who was supposedly me, right? Uh, and uh, from he would come in from Fort Dix on the weekends, and that's true. I did that, but he was wearing his uniform, and I would have I would have drunk paint from a can before I would have worn my uniform in Greenwich Village. <laughs> um, but. I love the way they sang my song. They did a very nice job of that. Yeah, the, 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 the thing about that movie was um, it looked great. I mean, it looked the way the village looked in 62. Oh, and, wow. And so did the gaslight in the movie. Then I don't, I don't think they called it the gaslight in the movie. but No, no, they, they came out and said gaslight, yeah. Yeah. Well, the only thing that I would have 
quarreled with Dare was not the way it looked because it looked perfect. But in the movie, it was a lot bigger than the gas site was. Oh. Gas was not a big, not a big place. Uh, but I, you know, I I like the look of the movie and and I like the music. One thing that I missed, and I have to qualify it by saying it wasn't my movie; it was their movie to make the way they wanted to. But then, mm-hmm. what I missed was laughter. Uh, nobody laughed in that movie, and we laughed all the time. We laughed huh. at our, we laughed at ourselves. We laughed at the world. We just had a wonderful time. Everything was funny, but none of that. It's just saw none of that in that movie. But I guarantee you, it was their movie and not my movie. But I thought it was a good movie. Well, people, I'm glad to hear that. People would say, I, you know, well, that was not Dave. Dave Van Roth was not. Well, he was never intended to be. Dave Van Roth was not a character in that movie. It was just based on his book. Right, uh, which Lewis, I, I, Lewis I, I did go back and read that book, so that that was that was a fun read. It was a great book. It's a great yeah. book, Mayor of McDougal Street. Um, but Lewin Davis was an, an entirely uh, made-up character, um, and not a not a not a particularly nice one. No, no, it's. <laughs> He's not sympathetic, and sometimes you find yourself rooting for him, and you wonder wonder why you're rooting for him. Yeah, yeah. No, I I liked mm. the movie. I thought it was I thought it was good. I wish it had I had, wish it had been a bigger success. I would have made made a little money from it, but uh, yeah, I, I was hoping it would would uh, would do do for folk what what O Brother did for Bluegrass, but yeah, it didn't yeah. didn't happen. So. No, no, then. I, I am sure glad to to hear you say that 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 there was more laughter in there than, than reality, because oh that, God, yeah. that that that's probably the appeal, uh, you know, for Randy Newman for me, uh, and before him, uh, uh, your friend Steve Goodman, uh, I was a huge fan of his. That you can write a good song and a meaningful song and be funny. Absolutely. And I don't see that anymore, Tom. Well, I'll tell you the greatest example of that there is is Cheryl Wheeler. Cheryl okay. Wheeler, Cheryl Wheeler writes these songs that'll just break your heart, and then she starts talking between songs, and you're wetting yourself laughing. Huh. She, she is such a funny person, and then she then she'll sing the next song, and you'll be crying. Um, but we. We enjoyed one another's company a lot. Um, there was, you know, a good, a goodly tribe of us at that point in in in, in the sixties, and uh, uh, there was much more, much more mutual support than there was competition. Mm. Competition, the competition was was, of course, it was there, but it was in the background. Um, everybody hoped that you know that that they would succeed. I mean, I did, I wasn't sure I was going to make a living at this for years. Um, but on a day to day basis, you're working. You got a job this week, so you, it's so far so good. Mm. Um, 
but the main thing was people say, hey, I just wrote this. What do you think of this? And sing it. And 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 hope for um, hope for a you know, good opinion, but if not, uh, helpful hints about it. Uh, for example, speaking of the Marvel's toy, the first version of it had different sounds in the chorus. Really? And I sang it for an old Suki, who later was Paul and Peter Paul and Mary. Okay. And this this was uh, in the fall of '60, right after I got out of the army. I sang it for him, and he said, "I love the song." He said, "I just don't think those the chorus is strong enough to co- the no- noises aren't the right ones." And so I went back to the woodshed and came right back up with the ones that I use to this day. But that's the kind of constructive criticism you could get from your from your colleagues. And it, it seems like. Yeah, I, it seems like there was a lot of, of working closely together there. I, I, I know you and, and the Chad Mitchell trio were close in that way. We were, although I, I hardly saw them because they, they traveled so much. Hmm. But, I, you know, I, I tried out for the trio and got got a week, as they say, a cup of coffee with them. Uh, but my singing was not. It was not solid singing like you need it. Um, it wasn't. Yeah, they have a very crisp well sound. Yeah, so they yeah. had to they had to keep it well, and they they struck gold when they found Joe Fraser. He he eventually took the part that I wasn't able to to do, and and mm. he was real brilliant in it. Oh, we should probably talk Randy Newman before we go. <laughs> do you? Uh, do you have a, a, a favorite Randy song or, or one that, that, that means a lot to you? Well, I think, you know, from this most recent song that says, You Chose Me. Oh, yeah. Fantastic, fantastic song. The guys and I um, listened to that song a lot in the car when it first came out. Um, I think um, Sail Away. Yeah, there's another one that I that I love. Um, um, small, short people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a great a great song. I mean, Tom Lear would have been proud to to have written that song. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tom Lear, my my wasted yeah. youth is is coming back to me in waves. <laughs> By the way, one, I did an album back in the '80s. Called One Million Lawyers and Other Disasters, <laughs> and it, it was the uh, uh, funny songs, satirical political songs like "Gift uh, for Afghanistan," and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And I, I sent a copy of it to Tom Lear. Say you have a lot to answer for. <laughs> Because <laughs> he was a big influence. I mean, he really was a big influence on me. I mean, um, a song I wrote called uh, "Forest Lawn." Yeah. Was, uh, was, I mean, that was pure Tom Lear. I wouldn't have written that song if I hadn't, you know, ruined my brain already on Tom Lear. <laughs> I can totally. I it, it, it's very much in his style. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm glad you brought up Forest Lawn. Back to Chad Mitchell. They had a song. About an extremely expensive funeral, too. Yeah, that was a, a great song. 
was was that a pressing issue back then? <laughs> or is that just a um, coincidence? It was a kind of a coincidence. At, at that time, uh, there was a book uh, that was became a movie. Um, the Loved One, it was called. Okay. And it was a satire about Forrest Lawn. Uh, they didn't use that name. And a woman named Jessica Mitford wrote a, a nonfiction book called The American Way of Death about the the ridiculous scams that the funeral homes would play on people who were vulnerable in their grief and everything. And, mm-hmm. uh, and both of them were kind of at the same time. So um, that I was inspired to write for a film because of because of that. Okay. Oh my goodness. What? Wow, Forrest, this is going fast. Long, by the way, Forrest Lawn contains one of my favorite verses that I've ever written. And okay, I will, what's that? If I can quote it, let me see if I can. Please. To find a simple resting place is my desire. Lay me down with a smile. Lay me down with a smiling face comes a bit higher. My likeness done in my likeness done in brass will stand in plastic grass, and weights and hidden springs will tip its hat to the mourner's filing path. I love that. <laughs> I visualize that all the time. There's a little cap, you know, that comes off the head every time. Oh, it's great. <laughs> now I I interrupted your thought. What were you going to say? Oh no, I was I was just. Going, going to ask you, uh, you know, what, what, what's, what, what's in, in the future for you? I know you just came back from tour. Uh, are, you, are you going to be touring anytime in the next year or so? No, I'm not going to be doing any more touring. But um, I'll be doing weekends. Like I just found out um, that next April, uh, the Don Juan's and I are going to play uh, at the Ark in Ann Arbor. And the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago on a Friday and Saturday, and maybe the Twin Cities on the Sunday, but I'm not sure. But that's about as much as I'm going to do when it comes. To, I'm I'm not going any more long tours. Yeah, I can understand. They really are really hard. I mean, I I love the performing, but to get in there will kill you. Like like Van Ronk used to say that we. we I perform for free. You got to pay me to get there. That's what <laughs> the performance is. You know, gratis. Uh, but uh, what I'm doing now is writing more than I've ever written in my life. Uh, mm. uh, starting with the first week or so of the pandemic. Um, I discovered Zoom, and I'm now writing uh, five or six songs a week with uh, with my colleagues. And I, this afternoon, I'll be writing a song with uh, with John McCutcheon. Uh, I'm writing with uh, with uh, Kathy Fink uh, every week. And wow, um, uh, a young fellow, I've, I've, I'm. I'm Met in Colorado, uh, Jackson Emmer. You want to watch out for that name. He's going to be good. 
and another fellow named Dan Bowling, who's part of the the current lineup of the of the Limelighters, um, okay. and and so on. It's about you know four or five songs a week, and and uh, some of them are pretty damn good. And There's... so I mean, since since the onset of the pandemic, I've I've written co-written like two hundred fifty songs. Wow. And I mean, I never wrote that kind of uh, productivity of, over the years. It's it's a much higher level of productivity, but I'm loving it. And the ideas just come. Uh, they come because I'm looking for them. By the way, it's the old, the old biblical thing: of "Seeking you shall find." Is actually actually true. If if what you're interested in doing is writing uh, songs, sooner or later your your brain figures that out and says, "Well, you know, we better we better devote some time to coming up with ideas for the guy. He's mm. uh, he, he's liable to be pissed if we don't." So <laughs> uh, the what? the ideas come pretty quickly, and then and then it's all you know in what you do with it. What do you do with the idea? One and of that's my where experience and 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 uh, luck come in. <laughs> One of my favorite Randy songs, and it's just a throwaway song. He never even put it on a record. Uh, it's called "Let It Shine," and he has a line in there that says, "Why don't you ever do all that you want to do? There's nothing stopping you, you know." And yeah. just. Just realizing, you know, that that creative energy is there, and you know, if we if we stop making excuses, uh, it'll come. It will. Hmm. As, as somebody <sighs> said, one of the most important uh, um, clues to writing is the application of seat of pants to seat of chair. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that. And I learned from my wife, rest your soul, I learned from my mm. wife years ago that the psychologists and, and their ilk uh, have discovered a long time ago that the simple act of moving a pencil or pen on paper stimulates that corner of the brain that generates ideas. And when she told me that, I said, holy crap. I always, wow. knew, I always knew that instinctively. I always realized that I got more ideas once I sat down and started writing than I had before I sat down. Now and then I come to the table with an idea. Half of the time, though, I, I'm looking at blank paper and I start writing whatever I want to write. And and something emerges. You know, my 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 wife says something very similar that it, that one one of the greatest things that we can do for our creative minds is to doodle. Yeah, she's constantly doodling in meetings and just even if we're sitting down and watching something, she's she's got that pen to the paper. I I I, I think you're onto something there. What 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 is this thing about wives? <laughs> They seem pretty damn smart. <laughs> uh, 
but uh, oh, they're, they're, wives are a great idea. I, I, oh yeah, five star reviews. Yes, I highly yeah. recommend wives. I have one more question that I have to ask you because I know I'm never going to get the chance again. Uh, in that '62 Pete Seeger record, he sings a song of yours called "Brand New Baby." Oh, that yeah. baby's probably 60 years old now. Sure. How's he doing? <laughs> he was um, a son born to uh, my uh, publisher, uh, Milt Oaken. Okay. And he is uh, living in Los Angeles and thriving mightily. I, I don't know exactly what it does, but I, I see him when I'm out there sometimes, and, and he's doing just great. Andy Oaken. I just... I, I just always hoped he had a mighty nice life. It always yeah, stuck with well, me. He, he did, and and continues to do. Fantastic. Yeah. Tom, thank you so much for doing this. Um, oh, my pleasure. And uh, I, I'm going to to put some links to to your website out here on on the show notes. And um, I, do you have a Facebook page that you maintain or that your 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 yeah, agent maintains? I don't do much with it, but I, there's a fella I, I pay to keep it going. So, well, if you're writing 250 songs, yeah, yeah, you need someone yeah. else to do that. Right? Yeah. Well, I want Thank I you. want you to step outside and say hi to Oklahoma for me. I I will do that. It's for for once. It's not 110 degrees outside, so I will do that right now. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Tom. Bye bye. Bye. All right, I've stopped recording there. Um, just thank you so much for doing this. I'll put this out probably in the next week or two. But uh, wonderful. You have, a, you have a wonderful Christmas, and thank you again so much. For You're very that. welcome, Dan. Bye-bye. Okay, we are here with our bonus guest, uh, fan favorite, Mary from Lansdale. Hi. Fan favorite, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've. Uh, it's probably been... Uh, over a year since since uh we did our episode i think we did uh it's money that i love yep. a long long time yep. ago and uh since then uh mary versus the movies is still going strong you're what 50 episodes in now oh god we just passed uh i think 83 83 i gotta catch up <laughs> yeah are you, uh, running, no. are you running out of movies to do? Are you going to break the rules oh. and do something outside of the 80s? Or what are you going to do? Once in a while, we we go outside if, like, for instance, I, I'm fine with doing anything from, like, 79 if I've been born yet. Ah. Uh, okay. um, yeah. And see, I have a theory called the long 1980s, which says that 19, the 1980s really last from, like, 1979 uh, to 1992. Okay. And yeah, and like yeah. my reasoning is, you know, it the '80s really are ushered in when when Thatcher gets elected in Britain, right? And they don't leave until Clinton gets elected in America. But uh, yeah, no, I have a whole theory about that. So like when I go outside the '80s, you know, I can I can fudge things slightly because I mean, kind of what we're doing is, you know, I mean, it's me catching up on movies that I've just never seen and that everybody else seems to have known. But mm-hmm. it's also just fun to look at things from like a like a social history perspective. So yeah, yeah. Oh, and that's what's great. And we covered both movies on the show. Um, you know, in 1980, you get like Xanadu and The Apple, mm-hmm. which are you know, um, 
in that weird sort of liminal period between like disco and the 80s coming on where you know they come out in 1980 and they don't really look like movies from the 70s exactly well the apple kind of does you know like xanadu looks more like the 80s or the early 80s but the sound is all of the 70s you know and so it's in that sort of weird sort of it, it things are trying to change over and they don't know what they, they're changing into yet yeah i and I could look this up, but why look it up when I can ask you? Uh, what movie is that clip from your show? And now, now does the magic begin? That is from Xanadu. Okay, yeah. that was my guess. So good. Yeah, good, good, good. yeah, and it's great. Like when we watched the film, because I don't know what all the clips are. Dennis made that opening, and so ah. you know, it's sort of like as we watch films, I kind of like go, "Oh my god, is that where that comes from?" So when we watched Xanadu, and I heard that. And it's very distinct, like that he didn't change the sound on that opening of her speaking. Like that's the sound in the movie. And it's just like, oh my God, that's that's what this is from, you know. And it's, like, and it's a great scene because like when you hear a song that you know Beastie Boys sampled for the first time, it's like, oh, okay, these guys yes. knew their funk. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, I, I th that's exactly what it's like. And I had the same experience when I watched um Mystery Train, uh, the Ginger Mouche film, because that's like the end of the opening is from the movie mystery train and i had the exact same moment where we're watching it and all of a sudden i hear you know hi good night and i'm just like oh my god ah. that's what that is <laughs> I, well mary i think you're the only person uh i know that is is obsessed with inside lewin davis as i am uh i yeah I, I, i've watched over and over and over and when when I, when i had tom come on the show and you've listened to, to tom's interview um I'm such a coward, Mary. I because oh. I unabashedly love Inside Lewin Davis, but I didn't want to show my hand until I heard what Tom thought about it. Oh, I understand that completely. Because there are people that got angry about Inside Lewin Davis. Um, I know Suzanne Vega, who has no business. She being wasn't the there. Arbiter. Yeah, that's it's like like. Howie Greenfunk having an opinion about Inside Bloom <laughs> Davis. Uh, this, she said, oh, that's not what the gaslight was like. It's like, uh, okay, Susie. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, you, you, you weren't there either. How would you know? Um, no, I, I love that movie. Yeah, so I was, I was really happy when I heard the interview and he said that um, they got, what was interesting when he said, no, no, it's, they didn't get everything wrong, but that their, their tone he thought was different. Yeah. 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 My my concern was that the 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 the, the fictional Tom Paxton in this movie uh, is such a dork. Yeah. I, I mean he's likable. Everyone in this movie loves him except for Lewin. But yeah. he's just just a goob. And so I was so relieved when Tom said no, I would never have worn my uh military uniform in the west village yeah <laughs> that is such a relief yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's funny I, I i was um just to prepare for this i i, I ran downstairs and just kind of rewatched bits of the movie just I, I i always do homework i have to do homework so that that's what makes you an a-level guest Home, <laughs> homework oh it's um, people who do homework they're the best <laughs> But so I watched the whole scene of, of Lewin and um, his, what's his name in there? Troy? Troy, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Lewin's just like, you know, 
essentially did you, did you plug yourself in at night or something like that it's just like oh man that's it's funny but that's mean you know but I get it because of like how they portray the character you know he's just so yeah as you say he's a goober he's he's so kind of like um straight back I don't know like yeah uh, and I, I was wondering yeah he's, he's disciplined he is methodical he's extremely polite um they got the accent pretty close uh mm -hmm. to an oklahoma accent the actors from dallas the, the actor is from highland park which is the cherry hill of dallas he just, oh, okay very very uh, upper class neighborhood uh, and apparently that actor is he's huge on broadway this was really his only uh movie role to to speak of but yeah he has he has the Oklahoma accent pretty good. Uh, and just uh, the cheerfulness in him, <laughs> no matter what happens, um, was, 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 was really nice. And I love how F. Murray Abraham said uh, that, uh, that people connect with him. I, I found that to be true, both with Troy and with Tom. But I was, I was glad that, that Tom was, uh, I, 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 I think you, you mentioned him as at least diplomatic about yeah. Uh, this role. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's got to be a little weird to see yourself being portrayed in a film when um, it's not like you had anything to do with the creation of the film. Does that make right. sense? Yeah. Or you you kind of see somebody doing a take on you. That's got to be very strange, you know? And so I think to be like, yeah, that's all right. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm okay with this. Or even, you know, uh, it's like I, I was surprised at how well he took it. Um, not because the char the character's not bad at all, but you know, he does come across as sort of, um, yeah, uh, extremely disciplined and you know, a little. When the film is built around a guy like Lewin Davis, like I, so, this is this is like you know, I, I identify a little too much with Lewin. I think. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and we can talk about that and you know oh, like, I, if i ever did a second <laughs> podcast it would be inside inside Lewin Davis. <laughs> no 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 it's just like like i understand why he why lewin when he when he meets troy and, and sees him is just kind of like oh geez this guy everybody likes this guy because it's just like oh he's 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 too he's too straight to be true does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So hearing like the real Tom Paxson would not show up in his uniform and like, you know, was was not quite the that that guy um is a little bit of a relief. <laughs> and and you know, you get the feeling that Troy has no sense of humor. And yeah, it, we know Tom's one of the funniest guys out there. So it, it, yeah, exactly. I think yeah. it was different enough that anyone who knows some folk knows, okay, they're trying to do Tom Paxson here, but different enough that that he didn't take it personally and maybe that's just because he's such a good natured guy i had the best time talking with him oh was... i was so nervous because he's just such a giant in my life and yeah, yeah. he's like hey yeah you know i mean first like i so i grew up hearing folk music um from my my mom and my mother and her sister and stuff were both into into that i promised you that i would give you my johnny five theory yes Johnny Five and John Goodman's character. Help me out. What is this? Oh name? my gosh. Um, yeah. Uh, we'll just call him John Goodman. Uh, yeah. Have such a personal bond 
a a a, a love. Uh, yeah, there, there's absolutely no doubt that these two men love each other. Uh, when Johnny Five gets pulled over, they the cop takes his flashlight to the back to John Goodman. Johnny Five knows that John Goodman's got heroin on him. Yeah, my theory is Johnny Five lets himself get arrested to keep John out of trouble. Because as they're hauling Johnny away, you can hear him tell the cop, I ain't scared of your jail. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But at the same time, he's abandoning his friend in the winter without so much as a car key. So it's complicated. I think it's one of those things he's making a dramatic act in the moment that makes sense to him, but he doesn't understand the long-term implication of what he's doing by abandoning his friend. Yeah. And seconds after that, we have Lewin not only abandoning his friend, but abandoning his cat. Yeah. He looks that cat in the eye and closes the door on him. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. you, you've told me the theory before, Lewin is the cat. Yeah. Is he sacrificing a part of himself there? He, he certainly, I think he's trying to, I think, I think that scene is, um, I think that's, let me put it this, let me think of it this way. Um, you know, at the same time that Johnny is, he thinks he's saving his friend from being busted for heroin. He's saving John Goodman mm-hmm. um, by being hauled off to jail. And at the same time, Lewin thinks he's going to essentially save himself by abandoning the cat and just and abandoning the car. Right. In the end, though, Lewin doesn't get what he wants. Lewin never gets what he wants. Well, he never does. But you got to ask yourself, letting himself get arrested is he is 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 essentially the act going to be for nothing? Yeah. That he's making this 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 I'm I'm saving him by letting myself get arrested, but in the end, is it going to be for nothing because um, he's probably going to die of exposure or an overdose again? Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of like, what are you? What are you sacrificing? You, you think you're sacrificing yourself, but it isn't going to actually get you anything. Hmm. Wow. Do we like Lewin? So here's the thing. <laughs> um, I don't. Yeah, that's the problem. I do, and I shouldn't because he's not a good person. Yeah, he isn't. Um, and I know that, but I see. I find this a fascinating movie because it's it's a movie that questions the idea of authenticity. Okay. That's how I read. That's partially how I read the movie. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we we have Lewin and Jean talking about is it ethical to settle, to get married, have kids, move to the suburbs? Is that just square? So you have that, but you also have the fact that the movie turns on the fact that so you have Lewin, right? And here's this guy who is he's actually you know working class. He was a merchant marine union guy. 
because part of the movie is he goes, you know, he's like, you know, look, I'll go back and get, go back and work on a merchant marine ship. Right. Go down to Union Hall, all that stuff. Basically go back and start going back to work again. You know, his father was part of the union, you know, so he comes from a working class background. You know, he's playing these old songs. He is sort of, you know, coming from, in playing this music and in being who he is, he's sort of coming from a level of authenticity that, remember the end of the movie is Bob Dylan. Right. And there's nobody more inauthentic than Bob Dylan. Oh, yeah. Right, right. But, and I love Bob Dylan. Don't misunderstand me. And and Dave Van Ronk does too. I by yeah. by the way, get Dave Van Ronk's audiobook, uh, Mayor of McDougal oh. Street. You know, it, it's about a six-hour listen, and you're like, okay, that part of the movie's real. Okay, that part of the movie's fake. Dave loved Dylan, and Dave loved Tom. So it's it's uh, one of those books that I know I need to read because you know it's really funny. Like just uh, going off on a tangent. Um, so we saw the movie. And D- Dennis and I went and saw it, you know, when it came out, because I see every Coen Brothers movie I can. And um, the only one I haven't seen is The Lady Killers, but that's nobody yeah. wants to see that one. Yeah, exactly. See the Guinness um, version and you're fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but so we went and saw it and, you know, I was like, oh, that's that person. That's that person. You know, oh, that's the Clancy Brothers. That's, you know, whatever. Right. Um, and Dennis's reaction, because. He also was taught guitar by his aunt, who was also a folk singer. And all of a sudden, his brain kind of lights up and goes, oh, my God, I've been listening to Dave Van Ronk songs this whole time, uh-huh. you know, or, or his arrangements and everything. So, um, yeah, I think Dennis may have actually read uh, Mary McDougal Street, um, and I just need to do it. Uh, <laughs> um, and I know that, you know, Lewin is not Dave Van Ronk. No. By, by, by any stretch. No. Who is, you know. Uh, by by everything I've read was a great guy and everybody loved him and I mean he was even the type of guy who who showed up at the Stonewall riots and helped throw a brick you know (laughs) he said he didn't even know what was going on he just saw people (laughs) throwing bricks at cops (laughs) (laughs) but so the thing with Lewin is he is he is authentic as what Bob Dylan wanted to pass himself off as yeah and this is a movie that kind of says, I think, authenticity um, is not all it's cracked up to be. In the sense that it's going to give you a lot of pain. Yeah. And yeah. that, it, um, well, I think it's also like it, it shouldn't be the, the thing that you base your ability to make art on. Because look at the Coen brothers. They're also Jewish kids from minnesota who like to make mm-hmm. westerns right okay i i think you know they they see themselves as bob dylan at the end wow wow yeah <laughs> i'm gonna have to think about that my goodness yeah and like, yeah, Lewin is not a nice guy and he's not, um, he's not kind, but there's something about him. And I don't think it's just because I like Oscar Isaac as, a, as an actor. Um, there's something about his, his sense of self-destruction that I understand. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. 
I, I, I love how he three times is seconds away from greatness. That he signs away his royalties because he thinks mm-hmm. that the, the John Glenn song is garbage and he needs the money. He turns down the offer to be part of Peter, Paul, and Mary. Yeah. And he is seconds away from being able to say, I saw Dylan his first time at the gaslight, man. Yeah. Each time he he self-sabotages. Yeah. Yeah. And I I get that as somebody who's dropped out of school a couple of times and Uh uh, (laughs) used to used to be part of a theater scene and now is definitely not. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons I kind of and, you know, like I have my own struggles with, you know, uh, being a decent person, you know, which I think most people do, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, I worry about people who don't. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. And I think the thing I think the thing that saves Lewin as a character for me is I think in the end he he knows he's not a great person. I don't think he's happy with himself. Like he's still going to do it. I don't think he's ever going to change. And maybe that makes him even worse. But I I think I think he's unhappy. Do you think he gets back on the boat? Do you think he finds a way to, to become a merchant marine again? That's a good question. See, to me, I never asked that question. My question was always, does he go out and find his daughter? Oh, yeah. You know? There's a whole bunch of paths in front of him at the end of this movie. And, like, it, it it's not clear what he's going to do. Which I actually kind of like. I don't, you know, I don't think you can watch the end of the movie and it's not like the movie kind of sets you up to believe that this is going to be like, because the film is recursive mm-hmm. and, and the end is the beginning and it's, you know, it, it's an Ouroboros. You, you're kind of left wondering, is, is he just going to continue the cycle? But it kind of also gives you uh, ideas that it, it may not, but it's, it, it, there's no way to know exactly what path he's going to go on. Is he going to go and become a Marine again? Is he going to go and look for his daughter? Is he going to I just mean, keep I- cycling? this you know i think i i think that things have to change because yeah dylan's there yeah. everything's about to change yeah um well let me ask you this question let me ask yeah. you this question see I, I recently thought about this lewin davis is um it's dave van ronk's biography if you gave him folks personality <laughs> Oh, yeah. Here you go. And that doesn't have a happy ending. No, no. So like that's all, you know, like that's a that's also a possibility. I don't know, you know. Um yeah, you're right though because Dylan comes in at the end like this the film looks like a snake eating its tail but it can't be. Right. What one last theory about this movie and then then I'm going to move on to something else. Jim has got to be sleeping with Mr. Gorfine, right? Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Because Gene says we don't hang out with the Gorfines. But Jim has been there at least twice that week. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking about this today. You know, um, it wouldn't surprise me if they were sleeping with each other. Because the thing about a scene is everybody's sleeping with everybody else. Um, 
and you know uh gay straight like like i told you i, I used to do theater right uh-huh and when you're in a scene you think a scene is is amazing and it's great okay okay so sorry i'm i'm a little uh out of order people complain that this movie doesn't show the scene as having a lot of love and friendship in it okay Right. Uh, that it, Tom, Tom, make... Tom expressed that you know, as well. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And and it made me start thinking about. Well, people said the same thing about the movie Nashville. Mm-hmm. You know, Altman. You know, the same sort of thing. Like, you know, you you don't get like any the camaraderie. It all sounds like it's backbiting. Um. So when I was doing, you know, and this is this is a very small version of that. So I used to do theater in Philadelphia, and you know, it's the same sort of thing where when you're in the scene it feels great if you're successful and there is always going to be, oh, there's because there's always a lot of energy and you spend all your time together and people will be sleeping with each other and all this stuff will be going on. Hell, that's how I met my husband. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, the thing is that's how, that's, that's how it feels when you're successful in the scene, when you're unsuccessful or, you know, when you're, like a more minor player i think you you see more of where the actual tension and the backbiting and where this everybody's sleeping with everybody else becomes a problem yeah and i i think people who get upset at movies like inside the wind davis and nashville because they remember the scene as being great it may have been great for them <laughs> uh-huh. but when you're outside of it when you are maybe you've failed out of it um, you kind of have see it differently than the people who were the the bright shining stars, you know. Wow. Okay. Well, we're gonna end that there. Before before we go, the other was thing that too you, dark? I don't know. No, 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 not too dark. My, my battery's dying. I've got five minutes. Oh. Okay. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Before we go, the other thing you and I both obsess about WPRB Christmas coming up. Um, yep. Death Health have any contributions this year? We do. Yes, we do have one song coming out. Um, I can't say much more about it. Uh, John John just heard it yesterday. He loved it. So I'm very excited. Very good. uh, Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a pretty stripped down sound this year because we've both been dealing with COVID. So, Ah. well, anyway, (laughs) that's Christmas Eve on WPRB. Mary, thank you so much for doing this. Everyone tune in to Mary versus Movies and. We will see y'all next time. Thank you, Dan. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. That was a good one, wasn't it? Thank you so much to Tom Berry. And thank you to everyone for listening. Some special thanks out there. Brian Just uh, does our theme song. It is a takeoff of Anita from the album Milson Sings Newman. If you don't know that album, go listen. It's great. Skip Yellow Man. That's a terrible song. Thanks to Brian Mays for our artwork. Thanks to Good Trash Media for hosting us. Check out the other fine shows on Good Trash Media. The Good Trash Genre Cast. And The Praise Down. Alright, Season 3 starting in earnest in January. Let's do this. Thanks guys, bye.